All right, I'm going to ask Tim if he'll come up and read our scripture passage for this evening. Our uh, scriptural reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 35 through 48. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had come at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for a, a opportunity to open up your word. God, we thank you for your gospel work all throughout our community uh, on this Lord's Day. God, we thank you for every church um, in our community that, that preaches your word. God, that, that clearly presents um, the gospel and, and calls people to live a, a Christ-honoring, uh, spirit-filled life. Father, we pray that you would bring a revival to our community, um, that you would continue to um, work amongst your churches, God, that you would use them um, to, to love and care for, for their, their neighbors, um, God, that, that they would be centers of, of ministry, but also, and, and even more importantly, God, that they would be centers um, of gospel proclamation. Um, that people would would hear the good news that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners by his own life, death, and resurrection. 
and that as people experience um, the love and service of your people, as they hear the good news of the gospel, God, that you would use those things um, to, to turn their attention and their hearts to your son, Jesus Christ, God, that they would be regenerated uh, and that they would come to saving faith. Father, we ask that you would use your word now in our own hearts. Father, if, if there is any here that is not, uh, does not know your son, we ask that you would use it to convict um, them of, of their lostness and, and their great need for your son, Jesus Christ, God. But even for those who are, uh, who do know your son, God, we ask that it would convict us, um, God, that this would be a passage that stirs us up and awakens us and that you use, um, God, for our edification uh, and, and that we would live uh, faithfully before you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're jumping back into to, uh, to our Gospel of Luke study. And so we have been away from it a little while, and, and, and about a month, a month and a half or something like that. And so now we're jumping back in. Um, kind of an odd place to jump in, maybe. Um, it, it's, it, we're kind of right in the middle of a section. We're not exactly at a, at a closing point or, or anything like that. But and, and one thing that I noticed is it's a passage, it's a concept about a topic that I feel like we talk about a lot, and that is this sort of idea of readiness. Um, readiness for the coming of Christ. Now, part of the reason why we talk about that a lot is because at least every other year at Advent, we talk about the second coming. Um, and so if you've been here over the whole four years, there, there have been two, two cycles where at Advent we talk about the second coming of Christ. And so we spent about a month talking about those issues. But it seems to me like the topic kind of comes up accidentally um, a, a lot of times. And so, for example, just a couple of weeks ago when we were uh, on what's called Trinity Sunday, um, I, I, I preached one sermon, sermon about uh, the doctrine of God in general. And then I preached another about specifically about the doctrine of Christ. But the thing that we zoomed in on, on Hebrews chapter 2, is where Jesus says we must pay closer attention um, to how we are living, right? We must pay closer attention to these things. Again, kind of a similar idea to this preparedness, this readiness that we find in this chapter. And so I, I, there's, a, there's a piece of me that when I come to a passage and I think, man, we just talked about readiness the other day. I, I don't feel like we should necessarily talk about it again. But then the other part of me comes in and goes, no, this is the next text. Um, if, if this is what God wants us to talk about, then we'll talk about it. And if you think about it, readiness is probably the kind of thing that we need to talk about regularly. We need to be ready to talk about readiness over and over again, right? And so um, I think it makes sense um, that we do. So here we are. We're going to sort of zoom in maybe on a couple of, of unique or particular uh, uh, observations about this text that maybe take us into aspects of, of, of this topic that maybe we haven't touched on, but certainly we'll revisit um, a lot of things we've talked over in the last, say, year or so. So let's begin at the beginning. We'll kind of go down through the text. I'm going to kind of jump around in the text and kind of make three different uh, points. Um, but the first one being this, readiness is faithfulness, all right? Readiness is faithfulness, but being unprepared exacerbates our guilt, Readiness is faithfulness, but or and being unprepared exacerbates our guilt. So he starts off saying this, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are watching for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. 
blessed are those servants who the master finds awake when he comes. So you can imagine kind of in a, in the, in a first century world, right? As soon as the sun goes down, it gets really dark outside. Uh, most of the world kind of ceases to, to run as soon as the sun goes down. People, people go to bed, they turn their lights out, they, they, everybody goes to bed. But sometimes you would have special events like a wedding feast or something like that where people would be out late. And so in, in a typical city, as soon as the sun goes down, and you start, start kind of locking up things. You lock up your, your gates, you lock up your doors, you shut your windows, you kind of get your house um, closed up. But if there was a situation where a master of a household was out at a wedding feast and was going to be coming in late, then what that meant is that the, the household servants had to stay awake to let the, the master of the house back in, right? And so a wealthy person who had servants would expect that his servants would um, stay awake and not only be able to open the door and unlock it when they got home, but also to kind of square things away, right? Stable the horses and, and put the lights out and get the kids to bed or, or whatever the case is. And you didn't want the situation to arise where your master got home in the middle of the night when the whole street is asleep and then you have to, the master has to start banging on the door, screaming, hey, somebody wake up and let me into my own house, right? That would be a dishonor to, to the master. You'd probably get in a lot of trouble for that. Um, and then he'd incur the wrath of the neighborhood as he wakes everybody up trying to get his servants to wake up to let him into his own house, okay? That's sort of the illustration that Jesus gives us. But he says those servants who were ready for their master when he came home, at any hour of the night, and so it gives us, in verse 38, it talks about this second watch or this third watch. The second watch of the night is the nine to midnight time frame. And the third watch of the night is the midnight to 3 a.m. time frame. And so he's saying, man, even if he comes home late or even if he comes home like crazy late, there ain't, nobody's got any business doing anything at 3 a.m. in the morning. But, but if your master were to come home at 3 a.m. in the morning, blessed are those servants who stayed up and were ready and waiting to hear their master's voice and to open the gate. So here's the deal. As we just talked about, the Bible repeatedly, over and over again, is, is repeatedly pointing us to A, be ready for the coming of Christ, but also it is repeatedly telling us that the coming of Christ will be unexpected. Okay? So we're supposed to be ready, but it's also not going to be something that it's going to be, there's going to be an unexpected element to it. Yes, as we look through scripture, there's going to be signs in certain ways. Yes, there are going to be certain things that probably, if we read the Bible, they have to happen first before Jesus comes back. But here's the deal. The, the focus of the scriptures are almost always on preparedness, not on prediction. Okay? It's always on preparedness, not on prediction. And this is what we find, I think. When we lose the focus on being prepared for the coming of Christ and start focusing on predicting the coming of Christ, then almost always the predicting undermines the preparedness. And so this is why that happens, because one of two things is going to happen. If I predict the date of Christ's coming that is far off, then what do we do naturally as, as sinful human beings? We start saying, man, I got all the time in the world. I ain't got to worry about this. Jesus is not coming back till uh, XYZ takes place. Uh, Jesus can't come back because the temple's not rebuilt. Jesus can't come back yet because Russia hadn't done something in somebody's, you know, thing or whatever. I got plenty of time because I'll see the events that have to take place first 
And so what does that do? It makes us slack in our preparedness, okay? The other danger, though, is that we say, no, 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 it's not out there in the distance somewhere. Christ's return is imminent in terms of, I'll give you a date, it's in two months or something like that. And what has happened every single time up to this point, every single person who has predicted the coming of Christ has been wrong. And what that tends to do is it undermines the faithful, right? We start saying, man, I keep on, this guy keeps on saying it's going to happen, and it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and it never happens. Maybe it's not going to ever happen. And so what we find is whether the date is predicted or in the future or, 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 or very close, it ends up undermining our preparedness in some way. And I think it's the case that the Bible stance is that we shouldn't have been in the business of predicting when Jesus would come back anyway. What we need to be focused on is being prepared. Not prediction based on a date, but preparedness regardless of the date. Readiness is a mark of faithfulness. Verse 37 says, blessed are those servants who the master finds awake when he comes. Because we know, or at least we are supposed to know, and firmly believe that Jesus is coming back. That should be the certain thing in our heads. And our awareness of that, the problem is, only exacerbates the issue. It only exacerbates our sin if we are unprepared. He says that in verse 47. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Now, here's the deal. I think sometimes we read that passage and we go, are we, are we parsing out different kinds of judgment and how much stuff like That's not the point of that passage. The point of it is to say this. It is to recognize that the more we are more accountable to this truth if we know about it, right? If you know that Jesus is coming back, then you are more accountable to that truth than you would have been if you didn't know. So again, to say our knowledge of the coming of Christ, our certainty that he is coming back, it exacerbates our guilt if we live in unpreparedness. So when we start talking about the end times, the second coming of Christ and stuff like that, the second coming is a critical doctrine to the church. And a lot of times I think the case is, man, we get so muddled up in all of the end time scenarios and the premillennial and the postmillennial and millennial and all these different things and, and, and maybe some of that tendency of, you know, some of you, most of y'all are old enough to remember those, the Tim, Tim LaHaye left behind books and like we get our heads so concerned about those things. All these end time scenarios, it's easy to get confused about what the Bible is pointing us to. But here's the deal. The unequivocal truth is this. Jesus is coming back. So people ask me that all the time. In fact, we had a Sunday school teacher at, at Mother Church that, that we probably have different views on the way the end times is going to work out or whatever. And, and he said, man, I'd love to sit down and we could have a class one day, like a back and forth discussion about this thing. And I said, man, I, the truth is, I don't know that I have firm answers on all of these things. When somebody asks me what I believe about the end times, I say, Jesus is coming back and you better be ready. That's all I've got, okay? I kind of lean one way in certain things, but I don't have any firm answers on, on a lot of those things either. But Jesus 
is coming back. And if we ignore that, if we sideline that truth, then there will be consequences for that, just as we see consequences for these unfaithful servants in this passage. And so readiness is faithfulness. And faithfulness, we see, is rewarded. So what does he say? He says, truly I say to you, this is the master now, when he comes home and sees these servants who have been faithfully staying up and are ready, it says, truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them, okay? You can almost miss that or misunderstand the pronouns in that passage if you're not paying attention. But it's an incredible twist in the story, and it's something that gives us a hint, points us to the gospel. Because here's what happens. The master, when he comes home and sees the faithfulness of the servants, it says he puts on the servant clothes. He puts on the apron or or the whatever, And he has his servants sit down to table, and the master serves them. The reality is, is is that language of God, sometimes we talk about we serve God, right? How do you serve God? And we use that language. The reality is, is that at a core, most intrinsic level, man, we don't serve God. God serves us. Now, again, I don't mean that in, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying by that. I'm not saying God exists to just come and affirm us in everything that we do. But what we find is that Jesus has stepped into the world to be a servant. He has served us in his ministry, in his care for us. He has served us most importantly in his suffering and in his death. When Jesus washes the disciples' feet in the upper room the night before he's crucified, he's not only setting an example for our service, even though it is that, but he's demonstrating the divine reality of divine service to us. Now again, don't misunderstand me there, right? Um, I'm not saying that Jesus comes and just caters to all our goofy, sinful whims, but we recognize that God has come into the world to save sinners at the cost of his own life. That's the gospel. And so anyone, do, do you remember the, the, the scene? And, and again, the, the Lord's Supper is the perfect scene where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And what does Peter say? He says, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. This is wrong. I'm supposed to be serving you. You can't serve me. This, this, is, this is backwards. You're Jesus. I'm nobody. I should be serving you. And what does Jesus say? He says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. And then Peter kind of gets it, or maybe he does. And he says, well, fine, then. Clean all of me, um, right? But that's the, that's the picture, right? Jesus is coming to the world to save us, and, and he serves us. And in that serving, then we learn also to serve. It empowers our serving, our faithfulness to God. And so what we see in, that, in verse 41 is, is the disciples hear this kind of story, and they say, who are you talking to with this stuff? Are you talking to everybody? Are you just talking to us? Is this a thing for, you know, professional Christians? Um, the, the, the ministers and the apostles out there, are you just saying this is the way everything works? And Jesus explains to him in verse 42. And again, watch kind of um, the wording of it. And the Lord said, who then is faithful and the wise manager? Whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. So he says, who is the guy that Jesus will sign to watch over his people? 
to take care of them, to minister to them, to give them the food that they need at the proper time. Verse 43, blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. So again, here's the deal. With this whole passage, the wording, if you read it quickly, you miss the, the where the wording falls, okay? He says, blessed is the servant whom his master finds doing this already, essentially, okay? So, so what is that saying? Truly, verse 44, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. What is that talking about? It's saying the man, the woman who God will count as the faithful servant, the one whom he will put over all of his possessions is the one who's already doing the work of taking care of those possessions and is faithfully doing that when Jesus arrives. Does that make sense? So it's not like there's an other standard of faithfulness out there and that when we get here, Jesus says, oh, well, you're the most biblically knowledgeable, so I'll put you over my household. Or you're the one who uh, prays the most or something. I'll put you over my household. Now, it seems like in this passage, what he says is when he gets back and he looks at who's already taking care of the household, then he says, you're the people that I will put over my household. Their faithfulness, their preparedness while he was gone is what necessitates the reward in, in when he returns. Their diligence and their preparedness are marks of wisdom and faithfulness. And it's the qualifications to be the stewards of his, of his kingdom. And notice this, it's, it's, it's super interesting too, because of the wording, how these verses are all connected. Jesus rewards these people not by entrusting them with less responsibility, but by entrusting them with more responsibility. Verse 48, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Okay? So it's not like Jesus says, I want you to be faithful now so that when I get back, you can take a sideline, right? You can just go sit and, and do nothing or something. No, he says, if you're faithful now, you will be faithful. I'm going to give you a position where you'll be faithful over even more later on. Let me, let me tell you a weird, I don't know if this is right. This is just me saying this, okay? But it's something I thought about as we were going, as I was going through this passage and thinking about it. We all know the 80-20 rule. You know the 80-20 rule? 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. Basically, and it works that way pretty much in any kind of institution, in the church, in in school communities, in your work. A lot of times, like 80% of the people are doing 20% of the work, 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work, okay? But here's, and, and we usually complain about that, right? We say, man, we got to get more people involved, and, and it's no fair that all these people are doing. But let me, let me just take that in a different direction a little bit. The reason why the 20% of people keep on getting more and more stuff added onto them is because they're the ones that are being faithful oftentimes. And yeah, that's sort of not fun sometimes because we can get overloaded. And there's times where you just go, man, I got, I, I keep on taking all this stuff. But the reason why that stuff keeps on coming to you is not because you're doing a garbage job of it, because you're doing a great job of it. Again, I'm, am I, am I, I'm not saying that those other people shouldn't step up. I'm just saying there's a natural process there. When somebody is faithful, it's normal that they would be entrusted with more. And people who are unfaithful, you wouldn't entrust them with anything. 
And so it's easy to see how that thing keeps on doing this, okay? And I think that's at least kind of affirmed there in verse 48. Everyone to whom has been given a much, much will be required of him. If you have taken those responsibilities, God asks you to live up to those responsibilities. And from him whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. That's how ministry works, right? Like if you want to get into ministry, whether vocationally or just in lay ministry, I hope you're not doing it because you think that you'll get to be the boss and sit back and watch everybody work, right? It's the opposite, okay? You get to do all the things that nobody else wants to do, and there will always be new things that nobody else wants to do. Jesus entrusts that responsibility to co-shepherd, as, as co-shepherds underneath the great shepherd. And again, it, it ties back into the stuff we talked about last week about discipleship, about the centrality of making disciples. The faithful servants are found providing food for the household at the proper time. The faithful servants, uh, servants, I think that's a picture of the idea of the nurture and care and discipleship that, 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 that takes place. That there are people, when Jesus comes back, who will already be out there doing the work of ministry in faithfulness. So again, walk it back. It may demonstrate that if we are not taking seriously our job to be disciples and to make disciples, it may eventually work itself back to this idea of preparedness. That we are just not living a life that is prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. And our lack of discipleship is, is a function of, of us just living like we have all the time in the world to do all these things. Um, I, I'll get to it when I'm an adult. I'll get to it when I'm married. I'll get to it when my career is established. I'll get to it when my kids are grown. I'll get to it when I retire. I'll get to it tomorrow, next week, next month. And then you look up and all the days are gone. One of the little truisms that, that I, I think I've found extra biblical truisms is that when you're a parent, the days are long and the years are short. You've heard that saying? As a parent, the days are long and the years are short, man. I look up at my girls sometimes and I go, they're grown. Like I missed it. It's already, they're already, they're already grown basically. So if there was a point at which I was saying, well, just a little bit longer and I'll be able to do whatever, that's past now, right? If there's things that I want to do with my children or my family or my church or my friends, I've got to say, now is the time because I've got to be ready for Jesus to come back tomorrow. Them growing up is one thing, but I may not have time to do these things because Jesus may be back tomorrow. And then he'll say, where was the discipleship that you were supposed to show to your children over these years or whatever? And I'll say, well, I was getting to that. God, I was just, just needed a few more months and I was going to get around to that. But I've been saying that my whole life. It feels like we have plenty of time. And maybe that's partially because Jesus has delayed 2,000 years. But here's the deal. His delaying shouldn't make us less ready. It should make us more ready for his coming. And that's what he talks about in verse 39. But know this, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. 
you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He kind of shifts the illustration on us, right, from this, this story about the servants and coming home late at night to now this story about somebody breaking into the house um, uh, in the middle of the night. And he says this. He says, if the owner of the house had known somebody was coming to rob it, he would have been prepared for it. Okay? So, so take your lives. If you were told for sure, that somebody was coming to your house tonight to rob it. You knew for a fact that they were coming to your house to, to, to rob it. You'd stay up all night, wouldn't you? You'd sit at the window with your gun or whatever. There would be nothing that would make you distracted enough to where you just sort of went, well, you know what? It's 3 a.m. They're not here yet. I guess I'm going to bed. You wouldn't do that because you'd say, no, I know this guy's coming tonight. Whether it's the second watch Nine to midnight, whether it's the third watch, midnight to 3 a.m., you would stay awake. But only if you believed for sure that he was coming. And that's the key. If you thought it was just some kind of rumor, eh, people were breaking into people's houses in my neighborhood, you'd probably go to sleep at some point. But if you knew that he was coming, you'd stay up all night. The knowledge wouldn't, his, his delay throughout the night wouldn't, lessen your readiness, right? If it was midnight and he hadn't come yet, you wouldn't be like, well, I guess he's probably not coming. You'd be like, man, it's midnight. He's not even here yet. Or if it's 3 a.m., you'd say, man, he's still not here. Man, he's only got a few more hours of daylight before. You would, it would exacerbate that, right? Let me, let me give maybe a, an illustration that's a little closer to home. Megan's not here, so it, so I can't use it as, as well. So we got all these people, pregnancies in here, right? All these people having babies, okay? Sometimes babies go over, right? There's a due date, and then and and the baby isn't here yet. Megan was two weeks late. Yeah, closer, maybe even closer to three weeks late. Okay. Um, guess what? I wish she was here because she could affirm. But Trent, you can affirm in her place. I guarantee that on due date plus one, she didn't go. Oh well, guess it's not happening. Right? The due date was yesterday. I guess I can just relax now and everything will be cool because this baby's not coming. Right? No. There was something that said, this baby's coming. Okay? And it was the baby alive in her inner stomach. Right? She knew for a fact, it, it didn't have anywhere else to go. It had to come at some point. And so guess what? Due date plus five, she's like going, Where's this baby at? Due date plus seven? Where is it? Due date plus 21 or whatever it ended up being? It didn't ever lessen her expectation. It just built because you get to a point where you're like, this baby's got to get here. Okay. I don't know about y'all, but I feel that way about Jesus all the time. Like I look around at the craziness of our world sometimes and I go, he's got to be here like any second. Like he, it's, it's got to be. Okay, and I'm sure the deal is, is that people have said that for all of human history. But but again, his delay shouldn't make us less anticipatory. It should make us think it's got to be soon. It has to be here very quickly. But here's the deal. The thing that makes all the difference in that is the centrality of the belief that he's actually coming. Because if you get to a point where you say, you know what, maybe that's all baloney. Uh, 
Uh, they've been saying that for a long time. Maybe that's just, maybe we misinterpreted this, or maybe that's just wishful thinking on the part of the biblical authors. Jesus isn't coming back. We're just supposed to live here and do the best we can and, and live in light of what Jesus taught us and whatever. If you start thinking that way, then all of a sudden you find, well, I'm, I'm just going to live however, because we're just sort of muddling through this thing. But if the return of Jesus Christ is concretely in your belief, then what happens is we just go, it's got to be soon. I've got to be ready because I know he's coming. And if we use Jesus' delay as an opportunity to live foolishly or self-indulgently, we are told the consequences of that too. And man, it's these passages that people don't like to, people don't like to read these passages about, you know, hippie Jesus who walks around just throwing out love flowers and stuff like that. Like they don't like to hear about a Jesus who holds us to a standard expects things out of us. Um, a Jesus who is, who it says, he, he doesn't demand less of you. He demands more of you as in, in terms of your faithfulness. If my master is delayed in coming and, and, and the, the servants begin to beat the male and female servants to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that house will come on that day when he does not expect him. And at an hour, he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that's just not, that's not even like a, a little bit of a harsh passage, right? That is a, there's some weight to that. So much so that, man, I think the case is most of us, we read that and we go, that doesn't sound like Jesus. Like that doesn't make, but you know what? It's in here. That's the truth that we find. So here's the deal. I think the case is this is, and, and we've kind of talked about this loosely in groups and in, in, in conversations with each other, man, I think we are COVID has put us into a feeling of putting everything on pause, right? Because we're uncertain about things. We don't know what the future holds, man. We, we start talking again about the possibility of a ramp up and uh, in Delta variant and all these things like that. And we're, you know, in the back of our head, are we worrying, man, is this winter going to be like last winter? Or are we just going to have the same kind of situation? I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know this, it, it shouldn't and it can't make us unprepared for the coming of Christ. Like we have to keep on faithfully following Jesus and not let those things interfere with the things that Jesus has called us to. Now, again, there may be all kinds of concessions that we have to make in terms of taking extra precautions and, and all kinds of things like that. I hope not, and I hope this thing just it disappears and everything's fine. But I don't think it's probably going to work that way. But we cannot say, well, cool, we'll put life and ministry on hold for a year, and then, then we'll come back to it. Because we can't do that. We have to be clothed and ready we have to have our lamps lit. We have to be waiting expectantly at any minute, any day for the return of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, you have, you have told us what the future holds. We know, uh, the promises that you have made, that you have gone to, that your son Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. 
and that he will return uh, to, to bring us into our eternal home. God, we want to be faithful in everything that we do. We want to be faithful at the return of Jesus Christ. We want to be people who are on mission and living uh, and making disciples and being disciples. God, serving and loving and sacrificing. God, we want to be ready. We don't want Jesus to come back and, and find us um, in laziness. Find us in, in as, as the scripture says, in, in uh, abuse or in drunkenness or in um, taking advantage uh, of the world around us, of living self-centeredly and, and, and self-indulgently and self-righteously. God, we want to be prepared for the coming of your son. Help us to do that. God, help us to keep these things before our eyes so that we are not distracted as we so easily are by, by the daily cares and concerns of the world, by all the little things that keep on popping up and, and, and distracting us from the greater calling on our lives. God, in everything, let us be faithful and ready. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song.
see you. I'm glad you're here this week. Um, hope you have a great week. I'm here this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week. in here all day with a bunch of who knows who's messing with it